0: Everyone's acting like idiots, and this Obak thing is just about the dumbest controversy I've heard all year. Hello, 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 and welcome to the 27th episode of the Economical Rise Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, today's episode is going to be different from what I'm used to doing on this show, so please bear with me. It's just that I've done an episode on bike sharing, and I've also written on the subject, but the way the whole O-Bike incident played out just rubbed me the wrong way. Alright, let's not waste too much time. If you want to check out my previous thoughts on the matter, you can do so at the links in the description. So, what I'm going to do today is that I'm going to recount the controversy and all the relevant updates, and then I'll explain why all the three key stakeholders in this issue, namely O-Bike, the users, and the government or LTA are all to blame. Alright, just about a week ago, O-Bike released a statement through its app saying that it will no longer continue in Singapore due to difficulties in meeting the new regulations set by the LTA. Additionally, the statement also mentioned that existing VIP pass members can continue to use O-Bike services in other countries, and that customers can still continue riding the O-Bikes through its partner grab cycle. Of course, our local media will be quick to cover this story since nothing is more tantalizing and attention-grabbing than seeing a once-promising upstart fail, and the Straits Times did so on June 25th, all the glorious, gory details, and funnily enough, directly contradicting Obike's statement through a Grab spokesman who said that they will quote, no longer be able to offer, end quote, Obikes through their Grab Cycle app. Kudos on Grab for not wanting to get involved in this mess. So, this news immediately sparked a wave of gleeful and spiteful reactions online, with some Facebook comments saying how they were glad that Obike was gone, or how that this might mean the end to the bike littering situation, or even how they saw the whole thing coming from a mile away. Unfortunately, for those who were stuck with OBike deposits, anger and worry over the fate of their $49 were probably the two prevailing emotions at hand. This would build up over the next few days, helped in no small part by some rousing work from the ST, such as how lawyers pointed out that OBike users may be unlikely to get their deposits back, or how users in Australia are having problems with their refunds since the company exited from Melbourne just weeks before. Desperate for a resolution in their $49, users turned to other avenues for recourse. This include ringing up their banks to check on Obike transactions, sending hundreds of complaints to the Consumers Association of Singapore, aka Case, and starting a petition on Change.org, which says that the time of writing has garnered over 5,000 signatures. To make matters worse for Obike, LTA stepped in and set an ultimatum for the company that they were to remove their bikes from Singapore streets. That's right, all 70,000 plus of them! by the Wednesday of the coming week on July 4th. Otherwise, the LTA would start removing the bikes themselves and build a company for all the towing and storage costs. On this front, some creatively vengeful Singaporeans actually posted a video of how to dismantle the locks on your bike so that you can effectively ride them for free, with the Facebook page SMRT Feedback sharing it and also saying how, quote, If anyone says this is wrong, tell that someone to pay you $50 deposit first before they can come talk. And after they finish talking, don't return the money, end quote. I guess this must have created some more cause for concern, because shortly after the ST would release an article with a lawyer stating how that this would still constitute theft even if the company had shut down. Well, thank goodness for that. Alright, back to the matter at hand. So far, Obike has been pretty silent since the news of their demise broke on June 25th. In fact, when our trusty friends from the ST tried to visit Obike's premises to get that tasty, tasty scoop, they were met with an abandoned office and their calls were left unanswered. However, it wouldn't be too long before they broke the silence, and Obike's founding investor and chairman, Xu Yi, shared that the company is in the midst of arranging a refund scheme for user deposits, which he notes amounts to a total of roughly six Point three million dollars. This is of course on top of efforts by the liquidators who have come in to assess whatever scraps and assets can be salvaged as well. On the matter of deposits, Xu Yi was conciliatory, saying how he was sorry for all the inconvenience caused, and that he would even be willing to sacrifice his stake in Obike to bear the cost of all the refunds. Pretty big words for a guy in the middle of the worst PR disaster of the year, but hey, at least his presence signaled that there could be some resolution to this fiasco after all. That is, until he went to Channel News Asia to say, quote, any extra cost might affect our available funds to refund customers, implying that LTA should hold off on their ultimatum to clear the bikes and give the company some breathing room to fix the deposit situation first. And from out of nowhere, the bruised and battered old bike has managed to find some leverage over the authorities. It's perhaps the most unexpected power play I've seen in a while, but hey, you gotta admit it's pretty damn ballsy. And of course, with the LTA being the LTA, or rather the government being the government, they are not one to take such a statement lying down. Swiftly enough, the LTA responded that they were deeply disappointed that Obike has reneged on its earlier commitment to refund customers' deposits and in turn, conveniently linked this to potential fees by LTA. The authority would also deliver another stinger by pointing out that Obike further pledged that it would pay for the cleanup of bicycles using funds from its shareholders or other sources, and not user deposits. At least you'd think that LTA has given enough of A verbal beating, they would finish by saying that they have to impose the relevant fees on Obike so as to avoid having taxpayers bear the burden of the operator's irresponsible actions. How's that for a mic drop? And so here we are, the great Obike standoff of 2018. As of July 10th, Obike has begun clearing bikes off the streets but has overstayed the July 4th deadline, and Liquidator's FTI Consulting has yet to announce a full deposit plan. So, Will users get their $49 back? Will the LTA give Obike some breathing room? Will Obike find a way to resolve this mess? Who knows? We'll probably find out soon in the coming weeks, but for now, let's look at how all these three parties are acting like idiots. Idiot number one, Obike. We begin with what should rightly be regarded as the biggest idiot in this whole mess, OBike. And throughout my recounting of the saga, it's pretty clear where the company has slipped up. Firstly, the original statement that started this whole thing was way too vague and underprepared. Not only did it not contain any details about refunding user deposits or clearing the bikes off the road, it also attempted to transfer all existing responsibilities onto Grab, which the ride-sharing company very cleverly dodged at the quickest opportunity. And even though Grab seems like it's trying to get into everything from finance to delivery these days, They were still aware enough to spot a bad situation from a mile away. Kudos to the green logo bastards, now can you please bring back the discounts. So, their second mistake was not being there to clear up any confusion. This was exemplified when our favorite friends from the ST attempted to get in touch with the company only to find that they deserted the premises faster than you could say hashtag where's my refund. The company would soon realize that there is no faster way to have a bunch of angry netizens turn on you than by refusing to hear their complaints. And soon enough, all manner of abuse and foul language which is being hurled at them on the pristine floors of the ST comment section. The biggest accusation, perhaps, was that Obike was a cheating, scheming company that was trying to make a quick buck with our deposits and bolt before they could face any consequences. This went so far as the SMRT feedback page posting an extremely in-depth note looking into Obike's business and founder Shi Yi. TLDR Shi Yi is a piece of scum and this is a 30 minute read on why that's so. If you got a raging vendetta against the company and 30 minutes to spare, then by all means read the damn Think through the link in the description. Now, in light of the circumstances, was this taking things a bit too far? Perhaps. But she and Mobike were not doing themselves any favors by the way that they've been behaving. I mean, what was anyone else supposed to think when you suddenly call it quits and leave everything hang? So, after a while, Shi finally broke the silence and revealed that they are committed to doing their best to leave responsibly. That is, by clearing up the bikes and refunding all the deposits. This statement alone, plus the fact that Obike has already engaged several companies to perform the cleanup since July 2nd, would have quelled some of the rage against them, if not for that idiotic power play that Shi Yi tried to pull with the LTA. I mean, what was the guy trying to do here? You can't make a claim in one sentence about how you're willing to refund the deposits of your own expense, then in the next, say that the any fines imposed will come out of those very same deposits. Who does he take the LTA for? I mean, they're not professional accountants by any means, but they were able to call bullshit on the claim in less than 24 hours. Now, at this point you might be thinking, wait a minute Danny, he's no idiot, he's trying to steal our money. This is all part of his evil dastardly plan all along. And to be frank, the only reason why I still afford him some sliver of doubt is that when Obike first started, when they first came on the scene, they were legitimately and honestly trying to provide a service here. Think of all the investment they've put into making the bikes, or all the free rides that you've gotten through their promotions. If you think that this is all part of a scam, then my goodness Shii might just be some Jedi level mastermind, and I and hundreds of thousands of others might have just been fooled right from the start. Likely, what happened was that competition got too tough for Obike such that they were falling behind and bleeding cash. And if the new stricter and more costly regulations coming soon, shareholders and senior management just didn't see any light of that tunnel and made the executive decision to bail. In these circumstances then, I think we have to cut them a little bit of slack for slipping up. Liquidation for any business is rarely ever a pretty sight, things are already pretty tense and sour within the company, and the media is always eager to pounce on the first mistake you make. But if you're still unconvinced that Obike was just a bumbling buffoon rather than your stereotypical evil company, then consider this. The entire mess and all its ensuing nonsense could have been avoided if Yi had just hired a proper PR team. Think about it, right? If they had a plan to clear the bikes and refund the deposits before they released their discontinuation statement, they might have even had the customers on their side. Like I get it that liquidation is tough and stressful and it can seem like no one just gives a damn anymore, but this is not an acceptable excuse to make, especially when you still owe 6.3 million dollars in deposits to the most kiasu customers in the entire world. This is why the entire thing to me is just a dumb PR nightmare, and all because of careless mistakes upon careless mistakes that made it all too easy for anyone to think otherwise. Idiot number two, the government. Ah, yes. The government. Big Daddy G. Protector and savior of the people. The manifestation of justice and civility itself dealt with Singapore's colloquial strong arm and stern language. Surely our leaders are impervious to mistakes? Surely their actions are entirely justified by the interests of the people? Ah, no. So... To better understand how they went wrong, we need to go back a little to episode 23 when I discussed the problems with bike sharing. Back then, the key mistake I brought up was that the government was too naive about the nascent industry. They welcomed bike sharing for all the good it brought, but weren't prepared to deal with the mess, and my oh my they certainly didn't think that things would get this messy. Like don't get me wrong here, I still think that bike sharing is a world of good. Making public transportation more convenient, increasing transportation options, helping the environment with carbon-free alternatives alternatives, promoting healthy and active lifestyles, these are things that any government would be happy to welcome with open arms, and I believe the Singapore government should be lauded for welcoming such an innovation to our shores. Heck, even our senior minister of state and transport Dr. Janil Putuscheri said as much in a recent statement when he noted that the advantages of bike sharing should not be discounted. The thing is, I believe our government failed to adequately assess the costs aside from the benefits, and when they realized that such costs were more than they were willing to bear, they reacted in a manner that I can't really tell helped or hindered matters in the long run. For instance. I'm pretty sure from observing how bike sharing played out in China that the LTA could have expected some level of indiscriminate parking. But I doubt that they considered how some people would throw bikes into drains or even down stairwells, or how pissed people would become at the littered bikes. I mean, I'm all for the light regulation approach to promote innovation within the industry and all, but at the very least provide some guidance with regards to indiscriminate parking. Like if Singaporeans are willing to stomp army boys sitting down in a train, why do they think that we wouldn't make a big deal out of scared bicycles? And if we're able to corral a good proportion of our local smokers into tiny yellow boxes, how hard is it just to advise people where bikes should be parked? Again, just to be clear on this. I know that I'm speaking from a position of great hindsight bias here, and I really do laud the government for adopting a light approach to promote new industries and innovations, but some form of guidance on acceptable behavior, no need for any laws or regulations or fines or whatever, would have helped in setting some standard you know, as a sort of moral or cultural first line of defense. Another instance of naivete was when the LTA signed a memorandum of understanding with the bike-sharing companies in October 2017 to deal with indiscriminate parking. Part of the deal was that the companies were to bear more responsibility for misplaced bikes, but that the LTA had to start painting more yellow boxes to place those damn bikes. This, I think, was way overdue. By this point, you already had thousands upon thousands of bikes strolling all over Singapore, and shouldn't the LTA have done this much sooner? Again, I admit that some part of my frustration here may be due to hindsight, but it seems awfully naive to a expect people to park neatly in places when such places weren't properly defined, and b think our current bike parking infrastructure was enough to accommodate an entirely new industry. So, of course, as many people expected and were hoping for, the government would pass proper regulation with the Parking Places Bill towards the end of 2017. With the new bill, operators had to sign up for a license and agree to uphold certain standards surrounding parking which would impose more costs on them, while also making things less convenient for users. It was this bill that purportedly forced Obike out of the Singapore market, as well as two lesser known ones in G-Bikes and Sharebikes SG, all within the span of one month. Now. Given the Singapore government's stance as told by Dr. Janil and the actions taken by the LTA thus far, this was somewhat inevitable. The government had given the operators plenty of time to try and fix the matter, but when things didn't get any better, Big Daddy G had to come in with the red tape. And you know what? I'm more sad than angry at this. No, really. Singapore had an actual opportunity to incorporate some innovation to alleviate its public transportation problems, but it ends up looking like it caused more problems than it fixed. And of course, for the large part, the bike-sharing operators were responsible for their downfall. They were after all given ample time to try and amend the indiscriminate parking problem, but failed in key regards such as clearly informing the public of its internal credit system, getting enough users to use and report misplaced bikes on this said system, and also punishing users who did wrong. But as I've noted earlier in this very segment, you cannot place all the blame squarely on the operators the LTA have as much, if not more, responsibility for the cleanliness of our streets as these companies do, and trying to pass the buck entirely here just wreaks a poor leadership. Like if your favorite food court was filthy and disgusting, would you blame just the cleaners and the vendors? I understand that in this scenario, it can seem like the operators are the ultimate bad guys here. But good leaders don't just stand there and point fingers, you embrace humility, and you admit your shortcomings, and you show through your actions how you're willing to solve the problem. And to be fair, with the way the LTA has been pressuring Obike, it really seems that they are taking steps. But given how poorly they anticipated the deposits mess, in fact, you know the LTA completely deflected this issue to CASE, which is a non-profit advocacy group with no real power, mind you, it seems like there is some way to go. Be it with trains or bikes, we don't need a Ka Boon Wan making funny gestures and excuses, all we want is stable and reliable public transportation. And if things don't go to plan, just swallow your pride, take action, and move on. Taken as an example here, West Japan Railways, the company that famously apologized when one of its trains departed 25 seconds early. Yes, 25 freaking seconds, noting how this mistake was quote truly inexcusable. I mean, they could have just, you know, swept us under the rug or, you know, ignored the issue entirely, but as great leaders do, they admitted their shortcomings wholly and honestly and worked towards trying to fix the problem by giving more training to their staff. Not only does this restore more faith from their customers, but as our favorite publishers the ST can attest to, it makes for really good PR as well. Number 3. The Users. And last but not least, we have the users. Or you know, rather the public in general. Ah yes, don't think I forgot about you guys, you sanctimonious vindictive lot. You think that just because you stand to lose from this deposits mess that you are free from any responsibility? You think that just because some Chinese guy looks like he's trying to run away with your $49 means that you're completely innocent? Now, I want to be clear here. If you're looking at this from when the deposit scandal broke out, then yes, it really does seem like it's just Obike's fault. But, as was the case of the earlier segment on Big Daddy Government, this scandal is very much just an outcome or result, and its underlying causes run much deeper. I mean, think about it for just one second, right? Who is the main party that is responsible for indiscriminate parking? Do you think the LTA threw those bikes around? Do you think Obike did that? It seems like with this deposit scandal, Obike has performed such a colossal PR slip-up that the bloody users actually responsible for indiscriminate parking has gotten off scot-free. In fact, the very same people who threw bikes around and parked all over the place might very well be clamoring on social media for their deposits back. Can you see now why I think this is the dumbest controversy of the year? Were it not for people leaving bikes all over grass patches or throwing them everywhere, there might not have been a huge uproar of their issue, the LTA might have decided to maintain their light approach, bike might have continued staying on in Singapore, and everyone's damn deposits would still be intact. For crying out loud, the biggest irony in this whole thing is that the deposits are meant to discourage people from bad behavior in the first place. Like this is why you have deposits with rental apartments, right? So you don't go around wrecking the place during your stay? Why then is no one holding these guys responsible? They played a part in the LTA stepping in and old bikes subsequently leaving, do you think they deserve their deposits back? Alright, so at this point you might be thinking, okay Danny, point taken. Those indiscriminate parking douchebags really screwed the pooch on this one, but what about those that park properly? Surely they're innocent in this whole thing? Well, Yes and no. And you know what, on that first point, I'm going to be very lenient here. I really do believe that if people had just parked reasonably, and by reasonably here, I don't mean that you have to park in some yellow box or that you have to park neatly in a row, you know. that If they had parked reasonably, things would have been fine. I mean here that, for goodness sake, just make sure it's standing and that it's not in some obtuse location like, you know, in a, in a drain or in the middle of a grass patch or somewhere in the middle of a field. Like, have you seen those bikes just left stranded in the middle of a field? Who just cycles through the middle of a grass field then thinks, oh I've had just about enough cycling for today, guess I'll leave this bike route here and walk the rest of the way. And And on the second point though, if you have indeed behaved well, park properly, and never once left a bike in the middle of nowhere, then yeah, I'm inclined to agree that you fully deserve your refund and that you have all the right in the world to be pissed at O bike. However, we have to be clear about something here. The cleanliness of our streets and pavements are a shared responsibility amongst all. This extends not just to not littering, but also to picking up litter or discouraging litterers. Everyone including myself, including you, would do well to remember this. Just because we have cleaners and sweepers who painstakingly clear our streets of garbage doesn't mean that we don't have any role to play or that we are absolved from responsibility. And just like how a government passing the buck reeks of poor leadership, citizens not holding themselves accountable for their own country's cleanliness is the height of an entitled and spoiled attitude. If you cared so much about indiscriminate parking, then back your words by putting misplaced bikes in a proper spot or by reporting them so that the operators can punish the offenders. Pointing fingers and laying the blame may feel righteous and justified, but does it clear up misplaced bikes? Do your Facebook comments and stomp photos magically make Singapore cleaner? In fact, why not join the volunteer bike control group set up by Bulgarian Zivkov-Girginov and help clear some of these bikes? Or even better set up your own group to do the same? And on that front, don't you think it's kind of emblematic of our entire attitudes that a foreigner was the one that cared enough to take action about the parking issue? So yeah, everyone's acting a fool even those that didn't directly contribute to the parking problem. And before anyone tries to point out that the anger and furor is directed at the deposits and not indiscriminate parking specifically, remember that we wouldn't be in this situation had everyone acted just a little bit more responsibly. So yeah, that's about it. Rant over. Yes, it does suck that many people may lose their deposits on this ordeal, But we as a society really need to look at the bigger picture here. This is not just about Obike and deposits, but also about how we wanted to do some good for society, you know, bring some options to public transportation, reduce carbon emissions, increase healthy and active lifestyles, etc, etc, but messed it up royally. Everyone was responsible in this. Obike and their awful PR and lack of enforcement of punishments, the government with their naivete and shoddy leadership, the users and in public with their indiscriminate parking and entitled attitudes. And at the end of the day, everyone loses. Well, everyone except for our favorite friends at the ST. You know, I really see no joy or redemption in calling people out on their mistakes, but really mostly disappointment and frustration for how things could have been. At this point, some of you might be tempted to say, you know, this is why we can't have nice things, but I hope this episode and this whole Old Bike Saga can help everyone with some self-reflection. And with that brings the end to today's episode. If you liked it, please do a big favor by sharing and subscribing to the Economical Rice Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This has been your host, Danny, at the Economical Rice Podcast, where over here, we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Oh yeah, since I heavily utilized ST's incredible coverage of the OBIKE bike scandal for my research, I'll close this out with a reading of their Wikipedia page. The Straits Times is an English-language daily broadsheet newspaper based in Singapore, currently owned by Singapore Press Folders. It is the country's highest-selling newspaper with a current Sunday Times circulation of nearly 365,800. Originally established on 15 July 1845 as the Straits Times and the Singapore Journal of Commerce...